Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by MasterCard. On this week's episode, we wrap up the second domain test from Adelaide, hear from the GOAT Nathan Lyon, discuss Australia's test squad for the New Zealand series and chat with Australia women's team head coach Matthew Mott about the Rebel WBBL finals. There is a lot to get through and to do that, we need some help. So please welcome back to the show a man with immense cricket knowledge, a dry sense of humour and a gun cricket.com.au journalist. No, it's not Andrew Rambo Ramsey, but Louis Cameron. Sam, I did not see that joke coming. That's an that's an absolute ripper from you, mate. Yeah, um, probably it's, should it's have, nice to be back. Should have hit record the first time. <laughs> Louis, uh, you haven't been on here for a while, but I know you're an avid listener. And we start off every program with our MasterCard moment of the week. What was your MasterCard moment? It's hard to go past Australia wrapping things up uh, with Pat Cummins, that, that run out. Oh, Mohamed Abbas wants he hits the stumps. He's gone. It's all over with a run out. The Aussies win the test match and they clean sweep the series. I mean, it was it was hilarious in the fact that it was so easy. Um, <laughs> like, it's the kind of one that you always miss. You know, you've got three stumps away, Matt. No excuse not to miss. Um, but, you know, Paddy Cummins, he's Paddy Cummins for a reason, isn't he? Um, I think it was funny as well, considering he was at mid-on at Adelaide Oval in the exact same spot that he was when he pulled off that amazing run out of Pujara. What are we now, two summers ago? Last summer. Last summer, yeah. yeah. Gee, time flies, doesn't it? Well, time doesn't fly. No. Um, exact same spot, and that was obviously a, a lot harder run out, but you know, this time he, he had his eye in and uh, hit the stumps. He must be due for a promotion from mid-on. Maybe. Maybe. He's the vice-captain. He's yeah. getting pains here, get behind the slip cordon. Somewhere in the gully, maybe. Yeah, yeah, get up there. Uh, my must-go moment is one that we probably didn't see coming. Uh, Yassir Shah scoring a maiden, not only first-class 100, but test match 100. Lofts it away, straight down the ground. Oh! Cummins got a hand on it, it doesn't matter. Yes, he is Shah, 100. 113, it defied the Aussies for a very long time. He had a few lives. As I say, Slaver, Shane's probably his best mate at the moment, dropped him several occasions, but a fantastic moment. I always love seeing Taylanders get runs and get hundreds. Uh, the first number eight from Pakistan to score a test match century since 2006. I think, Louis, you were saying that he's the first specialist bowler to score 100 in Australia for, what, long time, ever? Yeah, I think the first visiting bowler. Visiting um, bowler. It's a bit hard because a lot of the wicket keepers get moved down. I think Perore made one at number eight. So, uh-huh. yep, as he said, made one at number eight. His geez, celebration was funny because, I mean, he'd watched David Warner, I mean, celebrate, what, three three fives that's seven and if you count the 50s i mean <laughs> yeah and he i mean he did a jump three did the kind of yeah. the toyota oh what a feeling jump that many times yeah. and yes he tried to kind of do his own version of that and you could tell he was probably thinking about it but then as soon as he did it he, he kind of did that and then he thought he was going to do like the jadeja sword type thing but then Muhammad Abbas was right there, right next to him. Yeah. And so he was kind of like cramping his style a bit. Well, Matthew Wade said that he just got out of the way. Yeah, um, clever. And I think with the Warner 300, he threw in every possible celebration <laughs> he could think of. He did the, the Toyota jump, he did the fist pump, he did the uppercut, 
He did the two hands in the air. He did the bow. I mean, he was all out of celebrations. It makes for great imagery because they yeah. pause between each one as well. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, he knows where the cameras are, doesn't he? If yeah. you're getting 300, I think you're allowed to have several celebrations. Um, I'd still be celebrating if I'd made a, <laughs> if I'd made a triple and get, century. And get 335, which yeah. is, you put that in perspective, that's the 10th highest individual test score of all time. I mean, yeah. that's an extraordinary figure and something that he's going to live with forever until I guess someone beats it. Yeah, and the bow. I mean, it was an iconic moment. It was interesting. I saw in one of the interviews that he said that um, he did the bow because he'd been watching children's shows. Yeah, with, with one his of his kids, little yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what that is. What that's all about. Yeah, but I don't uh, think that's our strong suit. No, yeah. not at the moment. <laughs> and just for record, that Saha one was in Ranchi. I didn't mean to. Ah, uh, right, not in Australia. Yeah, yep. but uh, for all those uh, listeners out there questioning that. Stats gurus. Rambo's stats the, team the in research Peru. Are team. they still in Peru? I'm not sure where they are now. I think they've been kicked off the South American continent. They might have hit north. The visas might have run out. Yeah, yeah. well, they probably can't get north, actually, but uh, <laughs> they're somewhere. Uh, let's keep going with the, the domain test series. Australia wrapping that up. 2-0, uh, innings and 48-run win in Adelaide. Dominated by David Warner's triple century as the player of the match and ended up being the player of the series with that 100 in Brisbane. Some other standout performers, Mitch Stark, with seven wickets, including six for 66 in the first innings. His best figures on home soil. Uh, he was going for his best figures of all time, but uh, fortunately uh, the tail wagged a bit Pakistan and added a few more runs on there. And then Nathan Lyon, who was the unlucky recipient of all those uh, missed chances in the first innings. Um, he came back with five in the second innings and just proved his class again. His fourth four-wicket haul, fourth five-wicket haul, pardon, mm. at the Adelaide on 16th overall. What a career he's got. I mean, he's, he's approaching 400 test wickets. Kind of extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, and it sounds like I uh, heard Shane Warne speaking about him after they, I think they spoke maybe on the morning of day three. Yeah. Um, Shane Warne was talking on, on Fox Sports and said, Blind just said that he was, he was struggling a bit in this series and didn't quite have his rhythm. It's amazing that he can still hold down an end and, and kind of do that, um, that he's that accomplished a test bowler now. I mean, it doesn't seem like that long ago that... Um, we felt like he was close to getting dropped from the side um, just before that pink ball test, I think, against... 2016. Was it against Pakistan ho- as well? the Hobart yeah. game, yeah. Yeah, uh, where they had the, the clean out. It's, he's had an amazing career um, and he, he looks in, in a really good spot, doesn't he? He does. I really liked his uh, dismissal of Yassir Shah in the second innings around the wicket. He fired in the fast one, trapped mm-hmm. him plumb. That's just a really clever off-spinner's wicket. And he's so versatile bowling over around the wicket. Yeah. Um, we shouldn't be pumping him up too much because he's on the show all the time. But uh, yeah, in his absence, in his absence, he probably doesn't do it when he's on the show, does he? He doesn't no, want to talk no, about himself. Very too humble much. man. Yeah. Uh, but we will hear from him later on uh, after speaking after that test win in Adelaide, and then again more runs for Manus Labashain. Isn't it funny? Like you know, uh, Ashes series went over there, had mm. lots to choose from. Then chopping and changing the batting order because the difficult conditions in, in in England come back not sure he's going to be in a top six and then after two tests it's like it's rock solid yeah we'll sweep for the next four or five years it seems like that with him. I mean it's an amazing one it's probably a, a wrap for the selectors really I mean his shield record was, was good I think coming into the team but it, you know when you kind of compared it to the guys he was competing against it wasn't you know, thirties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't anywhere. Um, it wasn't much better or much worse than any of those guys. But I think you can tell Justin Langer saw something in him, something, um, you know, just that kind of fierce work rate. Um, and yeah. I think it was before that UAE series uh, against Pakistan where he got picked. I remember at the time he got picked ahead of Hanscom and Maxwell and and 
those guys had done quite well in in previous overseas yeah. tours to India and Bangladesh. Well, wasn't his selection on that tour just pure circumstance as well? Because yeah. Renshaw got yeah. hurt in yeah. a tour, then he could have got Renshaw hurt in got, a tour yeah. match. Yeah. So then he plays that first test match, and then even the Ashes, he comes in as Steve Smith's concussion replacement. It's remarkable. Yeah. Right time, right place. I mean, he's. Uh, owes a lot to his faith he says and yeah. you know maybe that faith is in good place at the moment but he's been tremendous I reckon he's the big beneficiary of just playing lots of cricket I think uh, so he hasn't yeah. stopped playing since the end of last summer so he's played all last season then he went to uh, Glamorgan mm. and played county cricket all the way through up to the Ashes came back for a little break and then he's got straight back into the Shield season and the one day cup where he's um, named in our team of the tournament. And a fantastic uh, record of that as well. So he's just making runs and runs and mm. runs and playing lots of cricket. It kind of makes you think that uh, next year is not a really busy uh, winter for the Australians. So maybe some of those players who are pushing for test selection just go over there and get a county deal and just don't stop playing cricket. 100%, yeah. And he, he's spoken quite a lot about um, I think a minor technical change that he made. Dave Middleton had a really good piece on, on cricket.com.au. He spoke to Glamorgan's coach, Matthew Maynard, about... Um, I think it was his first net session that Manus did as the overseas pro um, and Maynard noticed like his, his backlift, I don't want to get too technical here, but his backlift was kind of angling maybe a little bit towards third, fourth slip when it shouldn't have been um, and and kind of fixed it straight away. And I thought that probably the interesting part of that more than anything was that when you go to a team as when you're the overseas pro, they probably a lot of the time, what you might feel as the pro that you should have things figured out. You should know mm. your, your game and technique-wise, you should be pretty well sorted. But, I mean, it shows a lot from him to just be able to kind of put ego aside and go, you know what, I need to make this technical change. And I think since then, he's, he's barely looked back, doesn't he? He's made, well, I keep saying he's made most first-class runs this year, mm. most test runs now. I think even Warner will be pushing that even after a lean Ashes it's series. amazing, isn't it? Yeah. He'll be right up there as well. Um, our takeaways from this year, I think we've kind of covered them, haven't we? That Warner is just a different player in Australia, isn't he? He is. He looked all at sea in England. He's admitted that he had a poor series. I mean, 95 runs in test innings, you really can't shy away from that. But over here on flatter wickets, mm-hmm. against a kookaburra ball, hasn't been as fierce a competition. I mean, he's not facing Stuart Broad from around the wicket, but you can only play who's in front of you, and he's just banished the Pakistan young attack. Um, he's fantastic, and you just think all those question marks around him. JL knew that he was going to be in the first test team. didn't matter what happened in England. Yeah. And that faith has been restored because they just know how good a player he is in Australia. Yeah, he's an amazing player in Australia. I think it's, it might also be a bit of a misnomer that he's no good away from home, full stop. Obviously, he's struggled in England. and uh, I mean, all opening batsmen struggled in England during that recent Ashes mm. series. Um, but I think the last, you know, Australia's next... Uh, overseas test tour is to Bangladesh which is where David Warner made two two centuries in, in both tests the last time they played there so um, he really showed on that tour that he'd figured out how to play spin um, and you know Bangladesh are no, no easy beats had some, some really good spinners so um, it would be really interesting to see how he goes we know that he's got his, his game in order in Australia it would be really interesting to see how he goes in some of these overseas tours in the next few years Another great performer uh, who had a mixed Ashes campaign because he only played the one test match and I think a lot of people would agree that he probably should have played the fifth test Mitch Stark mm. uh, he was great up there in Brisbane he's modified he's actually another guy who's made a bit of a technical change uh, it is it was a bit jarring when I first saw him not 
load up with that, yeah. that left hand. I mean, it's just like he's so smooth and rhythmical, but when he doesn't do that, it's not quite the same. But geez, it's working. And I think we've spoken about this that he took 14 wickets for the series. Uh, I think he's bowling back to that 2016 series in Sri Lanka when he was at his absolute prime. He had a long lead, long lead in there. Um, he still he was just so accurate. And he still bowls that full wide one or the one down the leg side. But I, I kind of think that's like an action ball yeah. and something's going to happen with that delivery. Either the batter's going to have a swing at it and hit it for four or they might edge it. You saw some of the dismissals he got in Adelaide. They weren't the stock uh, just outside of stop moving away a little bit. They're a little bit short, a little bit wide, but when they're so tight they, they look at that and go I can score off this and then yeah. they're not ready for it he's a little bit quicker than you think well he's a lot quicker than you think yeah. and he gets an edge and the, the players behind the stumps do the rest of the work so I think he is returning back to where he, he is his best and it's funny he's even said it that he, the pink ball reacts a little bit more like the white ball mm. and he's what the white, best white ball bowler in the world 100% yeah and that tail that he kind of gets with the white ball yeah. from coming around the wicket to right handers is is one of his biggest weapons as well yeah I mean he's a he's a fantastic bowler I think he reminded us all how good he is I mean Australia's bowling depth is is pretty frightening I mean when you think about James Pattinson who um, had leapfrogged both Stark and Hazelwood before the first Ashes test and and um, you know proved why he should be in that first pick team at the at that point he can't get a game at the moment I know he was um, he was suspended for the first test, but you know he probably wouldn't have got a game. He might not. Have, I mean, I think Stark was the one that he might have got a game ahead of, and yeah. Stark's shown that um, you know he deserves his spot. So it's the, the pace stocks are, are good, aren't they? There's not many injured at the moment either. I think yeah. Andrew Ty, Berendorf, those yeah. two guys, but the rest. I mean, Joe Richardson's come back. Uh, he even popped his shot out before that Marsh one day cup final. And Incredible. I was like a genius in that game. It was uh, that's fantastic. So it, it is pretty scary the depth is there I mean, and if they do need to we'll talk about this in a second but if they do make a change to the pace stocks like you don't lose anything no not at all I mean you know that you could plug James Pattinson into that team and he's got an incredible test record Pattinson yep. um, and, and they'd be able to go away so yeah it's uh, it's exciting times for the I mean they're all in that age group aren't they that they're all kind of in their and they all mid to late together. 20s yeah, yeah. Uh, from a young age I think uh, probably our last takeaway we spoke about Nathan Lyon what a performer he is even though he didn't bowl his best for the series but ended up taking five wickets on the final day and uh, I guess the uh, we haven't talked about Steve Smith which is funny because every podcast you've got to mention Steve Smith in some capacity mm-hmm. but what four and a 30 odd in this series um, batted unselfishly in the um, in the Australia's first innings going for quick runs I would imagine that the, the one of the big comforting factors from JL the selectors is the team has performed without him. They relied so heavily on him in the Ashes that in these two test matches, he's basically scored nothing and the team has put up big totals. 100%. I mean, it, it seems to be that almost when the team is in a bit of trouble, he might almost concentrate a bit harder. Like I'm he's sure just to fix it, isn't he? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure he'd, he'd probably say that, you know, he concentrates as hard as he can every ball, every, you know, innings he plays, whether they're three for 300 or three for 20 but I mean there's something there is fundamentally something different about coming into bat when you're three for 20 than than you know if you got Eves of runs on the board and I think that I mean that's a great thing to have in your team yeah I don't think he I reckon he we spoke about how he doesn't sleep well yeah. I mean, just delaying him but yeah. he's so frustrating for him he's like get me out of there well I was thinking I mean I wonder how the pink ball test affects his sleep because yeah. it they all I've heard it's players from other sports you know who play Aussie rules football or um, or basketball where they often play well they play more at night than they do during the day 
they say they get home and they have to play video games or they're still wired from the yeah game, yeah yeah i mean it's everything's still buzzing i wonder how the how the aussie players or how both teams players kind of dealt with that i know you got more time to sleep in but it, it does kind of affect your, your patterns it doesn't it? matter if you can't sleep and you still wake up at the same time true yeah we'll see how we go well that's a good question we'll yeah. to put it to steve smith sooner and the last one we had was uh, pakistan really are a team on the rise look at their bowling attack uh, particularly their pace attack uh full of teenagers yeah. uh really tough place to tour australia when you're just starting out your international career um they played the 16 year old in brisbane didn't play the second test match um, blooded another teenager uh, the batting order is a little bit more experienced but still very tough against this high octane Australian all-round attack um, they're going to be better in the future but at the at the moment the gap between Australia and Pakistan was fairly large and the series scoreline represents that yeah, they seem like they're in transition a little bit. Like, the talent is undoubtedly there. I mean, I think I was a little bit disappointed with their batting, to be honest. I think on paper, when you look at um, Shafiq and Barbara Azam and Azar Ali, like, um, and, you know, they're probably their, their top three batters. And some of their dismissals, I reckon they would have been really, really disappointed about um, at certain points when they probably just needed to knuckle down and, and make Australia really work. Um, like, I, I don't think... Um, even if those guys had fired, I still don't think they would have won the series, but they could have made Australia work a lot harder. Um, and you look at their bowling, I mean, it's, yeah, there's a lot of talent. Um, Nassim Shah, I think we were all really impressed by yeah. how he went. I really enjoyed watching him in the first test, but, you know, whether it's leadership or, or whatever it is, I mean, he, they couldn't get him right for the second one. Like, I know it's tough when you're that young, but, yeah, yeah I think I think they're in a bit of a transition phase. They've got a new coach, they've got a new selector. Mickey Arthur isn't there anymore, so... Um, they just need a bit of stability, don't they? And it's tough when they don't have Wahab Riaz and Muhammad Amir there too. Yeah. Fantastic left-arm bowls, experienced. Yep. Uh, they played in the, the T20 series but didn't play the test matches. So tough for them. Uh, and Barbara Azam, uh, lots of talk about his white ball record, averaging more than 50 in both T20s and one internationals. Question marks about his uh, performance in test match cricket, but geez, he really is a class player, isn't he? Yeah. I don't like the phrase deserved 100 when you get it for 97. You've got to earn every run. Mm. Like, you just don't give out 97s, dude. It's not a stat. But uh, 197, True. fantastic. He really is a class player. And, you know, the, the big three of like Smith, Coley, Williamson, and then you can throw in like Warner now, maybe, and mm. then Root. Uh, mm. I think Baba has got to be considered amongst those guys now. I think so, yeah. I mean, I think he will be in the future. I mean, that was only his... Was it his second test century? In, the f- in Brisbane, it was. Yeah. yeah. No, he's got three now, I think. Yeah. 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 So he's, he's still kind of just making his way. But, I mean, you, you just watch him bat and you go, how is this bloke not making, you know, huge runs every time? I mean, um, he's kind of up there with... I mean, uh, Cole is probably the, the number one guy, for me anyway, that I'd want to watch Yeah. Bat if I want to pay money to watch bat. But I think Baba Azam's not far away from that, so... He's hoping he makes lots of runs in the next few years because it's bloody entertaining to watch. And across all formats, which I think is the yeah. most impressive part. Uh, yeah. Two hundreds. That would have been his third. For right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Australia have named an unchanged test squad uh, for the New Zealand test matches. No real surprises there, is there? Not really. I mean, I, I guess the one was Cameron Green that Ricky Ponting floated as a as a potential one to probably not play, but just to get in there um, for the for the New Zealand series. Um, but I, I think, in you know, all things considered, it's probably a good thing maybe that he's not in the squad just for now. Although, you know, who knows? Let him play yeah. shield cricket. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it just, this is what this is exactly what you want to be a selector. You want 
performing players, solid core group, and you'd have to make any changes. And Trevor Haynes' first iteration as chairman selectors, he had to make one or two changes each test squad because you had Langer, Hayden, Ponting, Martin, um, Kadich at five. It could be anyone, you know, Michael Mm. Clark. uh, The the bowlers picked themselves. Gilchrist, he had a really easy job. Hopefully he's sort of getting back to that part now where they perform, pick and stick and get lots of games on these. But I think that's the other underrated thing is keeping the team together, making a team. And then they sort of can understand. I mean, Travis Head didn't have a whole lot to do this series, but I'm glad that they've just said, well, we're backing you for this series. Hopefully this, this, especially the batting lineup, stays the same for these next three test matches. Yeah, I think so. Um, I I guess when they get to the MCG and the SCG, that's going to be where, you know, they'll have to look at a few different things. Do they need... Um, a, do they need an all-rounder to bat at six? Because we've seen in the past they do um, like having that extra bowler to uh, to play on probably the two flattest wickets in the country. It's probably yeah. fair to say for Test cricket. So I mean, does Mitch Marsh is he around the squad? Is Marcus Stoinis around it? I mean, he had leapfrogged Mitch Marsh by the end of last summer, but then Mitch did quite well in that, especially with the ball um, mm. in that fifth Ashes Test. Um, is Cameron Green back bowling by that point? Yeah, um, is Mitch Marsh even fit? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of question marks. I always think that why is it minus the all rounder? Yeah, yeah. If you if you need an extra spinner in Sydney, just play him. Yeah. Hold him more. Keep but the same attack. There's hardly. I mean, with all, all due respect to the the Shield spinners, I don't think any of them have really knocked the door down this year. Granted, it's it's difficult to kind of take big wickets as a spinner in the Shield, but. Um, Manus is bowling. I think he just kind of every time he comes on, he just looks. He looks like he might take a wicket. Like he's and he should have had a couple of Steve Smith stood a foot closer to the stumps. He would have mm-hmm. had a couple of wickets. Just needs to work his um, short leg game out, doesn't he? He's well. He seems to take he t- takes the hard ones, Manus, and yeah. he, he sometimes drops a, a couple of the easy ones. Well, easy ones. Joe Denley today dropped an episode oh. today. If you head to cricket.com because there is a, a highlights video of that, it's extraordinary. Um, Joe Denley's going to take a while to live that one down. It's, I, mean, I was speechless watching that. <laughs> I mean, Joffre Archer, he, he he just laughed, didn't he? Like, he didn't know. Uh, what well, can you just say to that? I think unbelievable. Have you ever dropped one that easy before? Oh, I would have had to, yeah. 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 I wasn't a great fielder yeah. growing up. I got, got in, you know, developed into it, but. Nah, Big gangly. Couldn't yeah. catch a cold earlier. <laughs> All right, uh, let's hear from Nathan Liney, our colleague Martin Smith, who has been nominated for a Sports Australia Media Award for his lovely feature story on former Blues and WA kicker Burt Cockley. He spoke to the Unplayable Podcast very own Nathan Lyon after play in Adelaide. He is the GOAT. Nathan Lyon, another test win and a pretty special way to finish it off with a run out from Pat Cummins as well. Uh, is there anything he can't do? Um, yeah, obviously a very clinical uh, display by the boys over the last two games, so I'm very happy to... Uh, wrap up the series 2-0 and um, we'll celebrate tonight but then I'll turn our focus to New Zealand. Just on Pat, there's something about that particular pocket on the ground. He got a run out of Pajara in this test last year as well. Uh, yeah, I think he loves it. He's been talking about it all week and no doubt we'll get sent the footage all the time now. So, um, But yeah, he's got an unbelievable strut on him at the end of it as well so he's pretty happy with it. It's well deserved though. He's, uh, he's another impressive test match from him. Oh, he's, he's world class I think. But if you think the with the two other big quicks, I think the the trio, the, the big three, I think that's pretty amazing, the skill that they show and their the world-class status. I think it's pretty pretty amazing for Cricket Australia to have those big three up and running. Just just yourself, you obviously didn't get too many wickets at the Gabba, but you picked up five today. Was there something particular you did today, or was it just a case of the wickets coming finally? 
Uh, no, I think it's just about hanging in there and, and staying patient. And as I said, with, with the bowling attack that we've got, it's pretty amazing to build pressure all from one end, uh, from both ends. So uh, it, it's pretty pretty amazing to be a part of some something pretty special like that. So, uh, yeah, no, yeah. I've got the reward today, but um, we'll just keep working as, as together and make sure that we'll, we'll take it from there. When you are in that position where you feel like you're bowling well but the wickets aren't coming, do you seek outside help or are you sort of happy just trusting your own process? Um, I always seek outside help. I think two people or three people I really go to is probably John Davison, Craig Howard and even Darren Berry as well. Uh, I caught up with Darren Berry just during the week um, one, one morning. So obviously he's, he's know, he knows me better than anyone. So he's always passing on some great knowledge. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty happy with... Uh, with their outside help, but it's just about coming back and just staying patient and, and, and trusting what, what works for you. And, and I'm very lucky with, the, as I said, with the bowling squad that we've got, that we know if we build pressure from both ends and hopefully we'll create some chances. Because Chuck was quite influential early on as a South Australian coach, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he was the first one to, uh, to give me a go, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, I owe Chuck a lot. Um, so, yeah, no, I've got a lot of time from Chuck. He's, he's a brilliant cricket coach and, um, yeah, someone very important to have in my corner. Just finally, this test will always be remembered as David Warner's triple century. What was that like, uh, celebrating that moment with your teammates? Uh, pretty amazing, really. I've been fortunate enough to get C2 now in my career. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, just, just the way Davies really probably bounced back after a pretty disappointing Ashes, personally, for himself. But um, he showed he's world-class and he worked his backside off, so it's great to see him come out and have that success. And, and to be honest, he's been doing it all summer, the T20 stuff um, into the test matches. So it's unbelievable. I just hope it keeps on going for him. Louis, there was the GOAT. Uh, let's just look a little bit forward to the World Test Championship. Points on offer for this series, Australia Bank. The 120 for the 2 nil win. There's going to be 120 on each series in the World Test Championship. Uh, looking at the points table, India are on top a long way out with 360. They're, they're undefeated, 3 from 3 in their series results. Australia on second at 176 points with New Zealand third place on 60 and Sri Lanka uh, there as well on 60, although um, the games over there in New Zealand at the moment don't count towards the World Test mm. Championship, so the result doesn't really matter uh, in terms of that competition, but I'm sure both sides will want to win. It's looking like it's going to be a draw at the time of recording this podcast. Um, looking ahead to June 2021, I'm not mm. quite sure where the final is going to be played, somewhere in England. Yeah, Probably overall or Lords, you think. Uh, or maybe Birmingham. I'd love to see it there. Be a good spot. Um, mm. Let's have a look at Australia's uh, upcoming fixtures in the World Test Championship. They've got these three tests against New Zealand. They play Bangladesh away for two tests. Then next summer, it's four tests against India and then three tests away to South Africa. Mm. So pretty big series there. I'm not sure they're... Like you would think Australia's strong favourites against New Zealand. Bangladesh was a draw last time we played there. It was, One yeah. Each. yeah. Haven't won. Um, we lost to India last time, mm. 2-1. First time ever India won on Australian soil. And then we lost the last series in South Africa where Australia have had a great record. They're up against it, aren't they? It's going to yeah. be tough, but they've got a bit of a lead at the moment. So that, that's tough. But you look at the other teams. Let's go through India. India have played all of their games. They've got two games against New Zealand uh, in January. Then they take on Australia next summer. So there's nothing during the winter for them. Uh then they've got five tests against England on home soil, mm. and it's going to be that's traditionally very strong for for India. There's 360 available points there. England, uh, they've got 600 points available. They've got four tests away against South Africa this summer, then two away against Sri Lanka where they lost last time, then three each against the West Indies and Pakistan on home soil. 
strong record at home score against those teams. Although Pakistan have troubled them in the past. They have, yeah. You yeah. think they should win. You, yeah. yeah I'm going to give it to them. You're not gonna, going to, but I'm going to go out on a limb and well, say they're going to win. They'll beat Pakistan. Four or five of those yeah, tests. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And then they've got those five games in India. That'll be really tough. And then New Zealand, who I think probably the only other team that can push for a final spot. Uh, they've got 600 points available as well. The three upcoming domain tests against, New Zealand, against Australia. Then those two tests against India. Then they've got two tests away to Bangladesh. Tough place to play uh, there. Two tests against West Indies and Pakistan on home soil each. So it's 11 tests, 600 points available. So you think they do well against those two teams as well. So it's, it's going to come down pretty close. I reckon India are in. They're, they're, they're pretty much got the first spot. But the second spot between Australia, New Zealand, and England, each test really is going to matter. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting, isn't it? I reckon New Zealand, if you're looking at Australia's greatest competition, maybe, I mean, England, you'd think with an away series to India. I mean, that could get that could get ugly in theory because, I mean, India could win 5-0 and that's, that they would just about... Absolutely could win 5-0, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that wouldn't, you know, England might be quite a decent side and quite India just eat teams up for breakfast on their home soil. Yeah. I think New Zealand's really the interesting one. I think, I was looking at it the other day, they haven't lost a test series since 2016. I think they've won seven or eight of their last 10 yeah, right. series. And in this, um, you know, in the World Test Championship, winning series is, you know, kind of the, the, the really yeah. big thing and that's what it's been normalised to. So um, it's going to be really interesting. It, it's going to be fascinating. By this time next year when we've played more Test cricket and we know how the table's shaping yeah. up, each each one of those games, there's, there's no just token uh, Test matches anymore. Not that there are for Test matches, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, even the one, the one. If you play three test series and you know someone's won the first two, the third one's still super important. Oh, isn't absolutely, it? Yeah. and you know, getting those points for draws as well. Like yeah, just not going for a win just because you can try with the series. Maybe you need to hold on and get those extra twelve or twenty-four points, whatever it might be, for the uh, for the test championship. It's gonna be that's gonna be fascinating. Hmm. Like, what do we think about the point structure? We talked about it a little bit. Uh, one twenty for each series. Doesn't matter how many games you play. It's tough. It's it's so tough because not everyone's going to play each other. Um, I think the thing we said that we'd like to see a bonus bonus points awarded for winning the series, especially if it's away from home. Yeah, I think Virat Kohli had that idea. I mean, he probably wasn't the first one to have it. We but stole he, it from. He's Virat. the most uh, the most influential person who said it. Ask Tim Payne. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think Kohli said that there should be some reward for winning away kind of as a recognition of how hard it is to, to win when you travel to, um, to other countries. I think the thing that people have found it hard to wrap their head around is that you that if you play a five-test series, you get less points for winning each of those tests than if you win a two-test series, yeah. which is what has happened with Australia. Coming off in our five-test Ashes series, they got 60 points for beating Pakistan in a two-test series per test, yep. and they only got 24 points yep. for in each of the their test or in Ashes both of their two, yeah. two yeah so that's hard for people to wrap their heads around but i think when you look at the overall bigger picture of how um how the world test championship works in that every team plays the same amount of test series yeah it actually does make sense um like i i've heard a lot of people say they can't wrap their heads around it but i actually don't think when you kind of look at it in total it makes sense because you can't penalize teams for playing less tests yeah yeah. I reckon you get bonus points for winning the series. So maybe you get, say you get 20 bonus points for winning the series on home soil, mm-hmm. 40 for an away series, 
And then if it's a drawn series, the team that retains the trophy or the, that had won the previous series gets like five points or something. Yeah, don't mind. I don't know what the, the points would be, but something like that. Because I think you still need to win the series. Uh, you can walk away from a, a, a five-match series, say England and India. England might lose 3-2 or 4-1, mm. but they, maybe they only needed one win to get into the final. That's where it'll be really interesting, yeah. some of these tests in the 2020-2021 summer where it's really kind of getting down to the line. The One thing that I thought, I mean, if we assume India is going to keep going on the path that they are and they'll finish top and, you know, you've kind of got three or four sides battling it out for that second spot. If England's the one that sneaks in to second, you know, might be by a hair, is it fair that they play the final on their home soil? Mm. I mean, especially if they come off a, a 5 nil. I mean, we're predicting things here, but you know, if they if they lose away to India, as would be expected, that they then go home and get to play on a wicket that um, is conducive to their bowlers. That's is that fair? Yeah, that's. Yeah. Tough. I, I don't know how you do it. Logistically, very difficult. It is. Yeah. And to add another layer of complexity, I'd actually like to see it the next edition that number one team hosts the final, but two and three play off in a final. We like it in, in like an elimination. So, so there's that extra spot. There's nine teams in it, so three go through to the finals, I guess. One has the week off, if we're talking like footy language, yeah. uh, and they host the final. But then maybe a month or two weeks beforehand, whenever it might be, uh, again, logistically, I think it's going to be slightly impossible, but uh, they play on their two players on their home soil, host three when it goes to play in one. So, you know, at the moment, it would be Australia hosting New Zealand, and then the winner goes to Mumbai and plays India. That'd be brilliant. That'd be unreal. Yeah. I mean, I guess the hardest thing with all of this is, you know, T20 leagues and windows for yeah. certain things and making sure all the players are available. That's yeah. um, that's a difficult part of all this. I mean, especially at the moment, you've got India at the top. You've got um, Australia and England there and thereabouts and you've got New Zealand. They're all kind of... They probably haven't been as affected by. I mean, if you look at the West Indies or um, South, even South Africa or Sri Lanka, they've been a bit more affected by some of the issues around player availability yeah. and um, and that kind of thing. That's when you know you wouldn't want them to be losing out on one of their best players going into a final somewhere. Definitely, Sri Lanka there in fourth spot, uh, fourth spot on sixty points. They just won the one Test match. So yeah, it's, yeah. South Africa, they're last no points. Yeah, long way to come back yeah. for for South Africa. And let's project our mind even further forward um, one of the points that uh, Ricky Ponting was asked uh, during the test match after David Warner's form was could he see David Warner be playing in the 2023 Ashes and Warner's admitted that I think as time goes on he's going to have to start dropping off some of the formats he still thinks test match is the pinnacle but he is a fantastic T20 batter and would command high salaries in every T20 mm. comp he would play in um, whether it might be one day as he drops off first and then slowly goes about it um, but he's a bloody good one-day batter. Isn't he's a really he's good probably Australia's best one-day batter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He got those 600s in a year not long ago. Yeah. Um, so we're thinking, wonder what our 2023 Australian Ashes team looks like. Um, Ponning has Warner in there. Uh, let's go through the 11 and let's, let's basically look at the 11 that played in Adelaide and then see what we would change. So uh, Warner straight up. Have you got Warner in there for your 2023 Ashes? You'd be a bold man to disagree with Ricky Ponting. And I'm not going to disagree <laughs> with Ricky Ponting. One will be 36 by the 2023 Ashes. I'm backing him in there to to hit his sweet spot around that time. He's in. My question is, even if he is available, 
to mm. you pick him. Yeah, I mean... You've 13 test matches, not a small sample size now. He had a horror run. Stuart Broad probably won't be there in 2023. True. How old will he be by that point? I think he's pretty much the same age. He doesn't age, yeah. 36 or 37. Yeah. I think Jimmy time. Anderson will probably still be playing in the 2052 Ashes series. Here's my bold prediction. Jimmy Anderson will never officially announce his international retirement. Yeah. He'll just be available for selection. He's just too competitive. Yeah, he yeah. just won't say it. Maybe he'll like he'll be um, you know Futurama where they've got like the, the, head. the heads in the in the glass <laughs> tanks. They'll just kind of put him onto like a robot robot body, and he'll still be bowling out swingers. And... Not sure you could do that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I've got him in there, but like he's regularly average mid twenties in England. Hasn't got a hundred. Yeah, really found out, and he's. You have to think that ever so slightly his skills will diminish by that time in four years potentially so. but I mean potentially I mean with batting can be a funny one where guys can really peak late in their career and mm. we've seen with for example Jimmy Anderson he, he's gotten better bowling in Australia than he was when he was younger because yeah. he's become more skillful and yeah. smarter and you don't normally associate fast bowlers with getting better with age past their kind of you know past 32 33 so I think for the champions of the game, and you know his, you know his record stacks up when you kind of consider everything. He's a he's a champion of of you know this this era. Um, I don't think there's any reason why he couldn't. Um, recency bias, we've got to remember. Like he's Absolutely. just kind of, you know it'll be in four years' time. Um, I'd I'd back him in. Yeah. Interesting to know, and it, it's probably unquantifiable, but how much that year away he still played cricket, but not mm. the same uh, rigors as international cricket if that has maybe added an extra year onto his career. Potentially, yeah. yeah. And, well, and know, what happened to Warney? Like, Warney was that year out. He yep. was always going to call it. And then he let his body, his shoulder, his fingers, his wrists, everything recover. And then he came back into it. Fitness-wise is probably the other thing. I mean, he's not... Warner isn't someone who's, you know, is, um, has struggled for that. I mean, it's, it's incredible how... We saw with that, that innings against Pakistan just now. I mean, he's in tip-top shape. Yeah. Um, so I mean, if he continues doing all those right things, that's that's important as well. How far he runs? Like almost half a marathon. Yeah, a couple I, hundred meters short of it. Them. It was a yeah, just short. Almost. He half had a pads marathon. and stuff on though, so surely that adds if you know a I'd few imagine, extra kilometers. Okay, let's have water in there. Um, probably. Okay. Um, I had, if he wasn't there, I would have put Cameron Bancroft in there. Interesting. He'd be thirty-one at that point. I would like to see him do what Labuschagne does and just go play heaps of cricket because I think. He's got the work ethic to figure out these technical deficiencies, a bit like Labuschagne. So mm. we'll see what happens. Okay, we've got to run through these relatively yep. quickly, otherwise we'll be here. <laughs> uh, your second opener, Joe Burns at the moment. Would you have him over there in 2023? Uh, I don't have. I don't even have him written down. That's a bit unfair on poor Joe. How old Jeez. have you got his age? 33 in four years. Yeah, yeah. I mean... He's in the prime there. I'm putting a blanket over him... 33 Marcus Harris will be 31 Cameron Bancroft will be 27 I think one of those three might be there but the guy I've got to open the batting is Will Pukowski really what just because I couldn't fit him into my middle order and I think at the moment he bats three he is very patient um I could see him opening the batting I don't know whether that's whether um, that's something the Australians want to do, uh, but I think he could do it. And yeah, I mean, during this this recent week during the Shield game uh, for Victoria at the mm. MCG, batted for a long period of time. I think his strike rate was in the 30s and 40s. It shows that he can, you know, see off a new ball. I've got him opening the batting. I'm gonna go with 
Marcus Harris. I could even see, easily see Burns in there. Hmm. Big fan of Joe, the right-hand combination. Bats really well with David Warner. 33, who knows where he'll be in four years. But Harris with 31, hmm. I think he's got the medal to play Test Match Cricket. And he's played cricket, Test Match Cricket in England too, Ashes Cricket, which I think will hold him in good stead. So it could be those two. Bukowski is uh, an interesting one because he was uh, going to take... <coughs> Going to take Matthew Wade's spot at number five in my team. Right, okay. Bukowski in there. So we're both agreeing that Marnus Labuschagne, number three, four yes. years, could be 29. Yep. Coming into the peak of his powers. And Steve Smith, we're keeping him there. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be hard Another to Another player who I don't think will announce his international retirement. You just just keep, keep playing and playing and playing yeah. and playing. Until they, yeah. Until they, until they stop picking him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so number five, I have Bukowski there. He'll be 24 at that point. Mm-hmm. And hopefully um, he is come to grips and on top of all the mental stuff that he's going through I think he's been so brave and fantastic about addressing it and um, taking time out to sort on that to sort out that stuff so hopefully um, in four years time he's um, on top of that but who's your number five Travis Head my number five Head's five okay and I've got a little asterisk I reckon he could be the skipper at this point Ooh, yeah, four years yeah I mean it's, that's it, a good that's a good point he'll be yeah, captain yeah I mean that's it's a really difficult one to know um, especially with you know whether you know Smith is kind of coming back and um, there's so much up in the air, but I think Head, um, I think Head's kind of had a hard run of things recently. I think maybe the public haven't um, have been a little bit hard on him. I think he averages still 40 in Test cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think the most the most positive thing about him is he seems to make a lot of starts. And I know people will say you know you don't just want to make starts, but the fact is he's getting to 30 more often than not. That if you can get to thirty, you can get to one hundred. It's just application, and yeah. you, you know there's no, nothing technically wrong with you if you if you're getting to thirty all the time. So I think he's going to have a really long Test career, and I think he's going to be a really important part of that middle order in four, three and a half years' time. Okay, so I had head at six, right? That's where he is at the moment. He's going to be twenty nine in four years' time. Um, but six was also my spot as potential all rounder areas, and that would be Cam Green. I know this is recency bias to the extreme mm-hmm. but geez the wraps on him he's making all these runs Louis uh, and he makes his shield to build takes Fifa and I watched those highlights again the other day and also he's got some whippy kind of action yeah. that just puts some work on that ball uh, you can just see him keep getting outside edges it's just like a, a, an action that's going to generate catches to the slips and to the keeper he'll be 25 at that point I hope for the next three years or two years He's playing shield cricket and just getting that volume under his belt. Uh, and I know Ricky Ponting, and we dare not disagree with him. Uh, even though I kind of have a, um, we don't go against his word. And he wanted him in this test squad to get him around. But I'd want him to play cricket. I don't want him to yeah. be not not playing shield cricket to be around the Australian team. So let's see how we go. I agree with this point overall. It'd be really good to see him in the one day team. I think in the next twelve months, he's yeah. bat- he's batted really well in some of the one day games recently where. Um, he wasn't in their side earlier in the year, but then he did so well with the bat that they ended up putting him, I think he's a specialist batter at six or seven, even though he wasn't bowling. Made a really good 80 or 90 against South Australia to rescue him and eventually put him on the path, on the path to, um, to winning the final. So it would be good to see him kind of get some, some, you know, some games under his belt in international cricket. I've kind of got him and Jack Wildermuth around yeah. the marks I mean it's so hard to predict with these young guys who knows you know whether it's an injury or you know someone like Pat Cummins spent you know six years out of the game and we would have all predicted him after he made his test exactly. debut that it's going to play every test but yeah. so many things can kind of happen I think Jack Wildermuth he'll be 29 
by the time of the next Ashes. I think he's just a really, really solid player. Um, his batting is a bit underrated. I think um, he's kind of got all the hallmarks of a, of a really solid international player. And I think and his bowling is um, is excellent as well. So I think he, uh, between him and Cam Green, I reckon they'll be vying for that all-rounder slot. The other young batter I had in mind uh, is Jason Sanger, who cool. hasn't been in the Shield team for the Blues this summer, but played 10 games last year, maybe even all 11. Um, very classy player. He's still very young. Might be a bit of an ask for the, the 2023 Ashes, but I'd love Bowls to Bowls good leg spin as well. Bowls good leg spin. Do you imagine having Smith, Labashane, and Jason Sanger in the same team? Gee, yeah. Leggies everywhere. Okay, that's the top order done. The keeper now, Tim Payne, doing a fabulous job at the moment. He'll be 38 four years' time, so I probably won't see him there. So who's going to be your gloveman? Is it going to be Alex Carey? Yeah, it's hard to go past yep. Alex Carey. Um, shield to century this week. Uh, he's made four of them now. His batting just goes from strength to strength. His batting in the World Cup was just... I know it's a different format, but yep. it's... It is in England. And yep. uh, there were question marks about him being in that World Cup score, wasn't there? About yeah. Potentially putting Matthew Wade in there, who hadn't played for a while, but justified his selection. Was yep. he the team, in the team of the tournament? Uh, I'm not sure. He, he should have been, if not. I mean, he, he just goes from strength to strength. And looking looking at how he made a lot of his runs in the World Cup, it was just kind of... Um, the way he did it in terms of coming in a lot of the time when Australia were under pressure or kind of in doomed run chases and he'd kind of get Australia really close. Um, I think it shows that um, even though it's a different format that he can you know really do well in international cricket. It's funny, I actually have him, Samuel, at number six. I think his batting is that good that I would have him at six ahead of either Green or Wildermuth. The all-rounder. Yeah, but okay. I'm not going to fight you over it. No, I think as long as he's somewhere in there. I tell you what, he is another chance to be the skipper. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, could you imagine having two wicket keepers in a row as test captain, considering mm. we haven't had one since the 1910s or 1920s when... Well, Gilly, but you mean like full-time ones? Yeah, full-time ones, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, that's one thing Gilchrist sort of spoke about. There's a lot going on, so he doesn't like really doing it that often yeah um breaking news Kerry was in the team of the tournament he was so there you go yeah um so fantastic you know i thought the other day about um an interesting thing about captaincy now one of the more important parts of it is using the drs and the drs isn't going to be involved any i mean if we look at in four years time drs will probably be more important than it is now it will probably be more sophisticated Mm mm-hmm um, so I know Payne doesn't have a great record with the DRS and he, he no. said so himself, but I mean, the wicketkeeper is an important position. So maybe you'd be more likely to have a wicketkeeper as captain. Is that drawing too long a bow? No, I don't think so. But Payne even said like sometimes he is literally blocked by the yeah. batter for impact yeah. for the LBWs and things like that. And he, start, he got a couple wrong, caught down the leg side, which I thought keeper would have the best view of. And if yeah. he's going up for that, Maybe they don't have the best view. It's a really good point, isn't it? Yeah. It's a tough one. I, I don't think there's a science to it, but I don't actually think the DRS is going to change now. I reckon they've got it. I, don't, I can't see too many other changes. I reckon the the amount of reviews, how you use them, I don't know if the technology will change a whole lot. I think they've pretty much nailed it. I don't see too many changes from now on. I agree they've nailed it in terms of how many reviews. I think the two, and you, you get to keep them if it's umpire's call, is yep. very good. The one, I'd, uh, the one that does my head in a little bit is the stuff around umpires call I don't think they give enough credit to the technology if they say that 
Um, it's going to clip the stumps. It's hitting the stumps. Yeah, I mean, clipping the stumps. If one percent of the ball is hitting the stumps, it's hitting the stumps. It do, it's not. That doesn't count more than if one hundred percent of the ball is hitting the stumps. I guess they say that there's a there's a slight margin of error. Agreed, but, but the margin of error isn't like ninety nine percent. I mean, it, the margin of error is only a you know a few decimals of one percent. So if you make the umpire's call, maybe if say less than 10% of the ball is hitting the stumps, yep. then it's umpire's call, fair enough. But at the moment, you're seeing 30 or 40% of the ball hitting the stumps. Oh, they should be able to overturn that. Yeah, two things. One, no one, there must be a margin of error for the tennis DRS equivalent. Yeah. You know how it shows the ball being squished on the line? No one ever complains if it's out by one millimetre. You know what's different though about that is they're not predicting anything. They're just showing... Oh, right. So with, I think call. the margin of error but, on DRS is they got a, they they're guessing between the pad, the distance, and the yeah. distance between the pad and the stumps. Whereas in tennis, you're literally saying where did the ball bounce. Mapping it, yeah. yeah. Even even though the ball squishing, you know how it's. That's of, fascinating, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Strange how they get that. Yeah. And the other thing is that what's the perfect delivery? It's the ball that shapes in, just clips the top of off stump. You know, might just flick the ball. That's a perfect ball. Yep. And that's not being given out if the umpire goes not out and then it's clipping so you know the pe- sometimes it's um it's going against what you've been taught to bowl that perfect ball is going to hit the top of off stump that doesn't quite reward it all the time 100 percent. you're not going to get any arguments from me on this front i, <laughs> I would if you get hit on the pad you should just be out fast bowler yeah, yeah i didn't have a, didn't think you'd be uh arguing with that one okay so there's a the top seven now bowlers they're actually in a, they're in a, a funny kind of age they're right mm. around being um in their prime, but in four years' time, who really knows? So, Pat Cummins, he's going to be 30. He's a lock at number eight, isn't he? Or not. Well, you're eight for you? Uh, he's a number eight for me. Yeah. 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 So he's I, he's the, the other the, one I've got the, the asterisks against. He could be. He could also be the captain at that point. I know he says he doesn't want to do it. There'll certainly be a lot of vice captains in this team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. But Cummins is straight in. Okay. Uh, one spot down. Stark will be 33. Played a couple of, played a couple of tours now uh, to England. Um He's just, he's that kind of bowler that's, fast bowlers don't age real well, Yeah, I reckon. And he's had a number of injuries. I think he's carrying a big toe injury as we speak. Um, will he be there in four years? I got him in the squad. Maybe it's starting 11. It's going to be a bit tough. But I think if he's fit and he's still buying well, you pick him. 100%. It's so hard to predict with these things. Um, but yeah, I think the, I mean, at, he'll be 33, but there's no reason why he still can't be bowling 140 at 33. Other people yep. have done it. Yeah. Th- I mean, the end does often come quickly for bowlers who bowl particularly quick, but we've seen, I mean, Dale Stain played late into his career and he relied yep. on pace. Um, if you're doing all the right things and, um, you know, he's got a lot going in his favour, his left arm, he's tall, um, yeah, who knows? It's so hard to predict with these ones. The yeah. fast bowls is difficult. Yeah. yeah, especially when they're getting into mid to late thirties. But uh, uh, I, if if Stark's not there, I'm going to go with Joe Richardson because he'll be 26. He'll have just had four years of cricket, hopefully under his belt, no injuries. Uh, I reckon if he wasn't injured, he would have been a real hot, red hot thing to get some of those games in the Ashes. I mean, imagine having him fit there. Like, does Peter Siddle even make the squad? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. They might, or probably not Michael Nisa. Maybe Nisa doesn't make the squad. Um, but yeah, that would have been fantastic. Uh, Nathan Lyon, he'll be thirty-five, but I just honestly can't see him st- him stopping. I think he'll be there in four years. I hope so. Yeah, I, I think With Australia probably five hundred wickets under his belt. Yeah, I mean that's it's scary to think about how close he he might be able to get to Warren. Yeah, I mean he's in that side. Um, 
he's in that side of 35 for me. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is Josh Hazelwood, who is 32. Uh, I reckon if he's fit and he bolts so well in that Ashes, he's almost a lock. Yeah, yeah, he's in my team. Um, the, the bowlers I picked were Cummins, Joe Richardson, Hazelwood and Lyon. Yep. Yeah, I, I think Hazelwood's going to be um, even better potentially at 32 in 2023 than he might have even been in 2020. What, what year are we in? 2019. Yeah, yeah. he's going to be better in four years' time than he is right now. That is and my that's point. fairly impressive. Yeah. He'll have what well, that's four years. Be well over three hundred wickets if he doesn't get injured. So yeah, that'll be very impressive. Okay, we need to write these down and then revisit this in four years' time. Yeah, yeah. Who I, knows? Who knows? I mean, it's so crazy because if you had have said in February twenty eighteen, what's the team going to look like at the end of the summer? Let's hope nothing like that happens again. But uh, yeah. cricket can turn quickly, change quickly. The one thing I did think of, and with that point in mind, there are a few that I had who I thought could be around that squad. Um, the names I had were Riley Meredith. Oh, yep. Yeah. Well, I think, you Same know... Same one's got him in every tour yep. from now until the Ashes, so yep, yep. get him in there. Yeah, big fan of him. Bowls quick. Whether England's the place that would suit him, but I think he'll be around the test squad in, in three years' time. Ashton Agar would be 29. I think if Lyon, if, you know... If He's been what, around for ages. I suppose it happens yeah. to make you to boom when you're 18. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he could play... Yeah, it's scary to think how young he is. Uh, Lloyd Pope be 23 by that point they all said that he was really tricky to face under lights okay um during the lead into this adelaide test he was a net bowler for him so i think he he's got the kind of his bowling fast leg spin i think is successful in test cricket um so i think he could be around it it'd be interesting to see if one of those test matches in four years time is a day night test yeah well it seems that maybe the england hasn't quite been quite as successful just because it, it's bloody cold there mate yeah like, i don't want to be anywhere in england it looked cold in that night. adelaide test match had three or four chippers on it's some true. of the players yeah true but you're right who knows if we'll still have a planet in 2023 to be maybe we'll be warm Let's in put england. this in a yeah. time capsule yeah. <laughs> yeah okay who else you got the other two were a couple of batters i really like the look of henry hunt yeah his name popped up when i was thinking of uh, youngsters as well. yeah yeah he's he's just he's only played four or five games for south australia but he looks really organized He'll be 26 by that point. Uh, the other one is Sam Hazlitt. Mm. Um, I think there's a reason why he was identified so early. He just looks like the kind of player who um, you know, could be around the mark at that point. I've tried to look at younger guys who maybe not necessarily their numbers at the moment are jumping out of the window, but looking at you know who might be doing well in two or three years' time because things change so quickly. I think you need to look at these young players. You don't look at them their overall records. You've got to look at like their last 12 months yep. or their last 10 games or something like that because it gets like Barbara's arm, his overall test record's not flash, but it, since 2018, he's averaging north of 50. Yeah. So there's, the numbers can be misleading sometimes. Uh, that's interesting. We'll have mm. to revisit this. Now, Lewis, don't go anywhere because we're going to hear um, some Marsh Shepherd Shield uh, updates from you. But before then, we're going to hear from Matthew Mott who's going to preview the Rebel WBBLs finals and talk us through the team of the tournament who was selected in part by our own Laura Jolly. Here's Matthew Mott. Australian women's team head coach Matthew Mott joins us to talk all things Rebel WBBL finals. Uh, Matt, thanks for having a chat. 
No worries, Sam. Good to speak to you, mate. Now, the semi-finals are set. It's the Adelaide Strikers versus the Perth Scorchers at 10 past 10 on Saturday. And then the Brisbane Heat take on the Melbourne Renegades at 1.50pm. Those times are AEDT with the two winning teams to meet in the final the following day with all matches at Allen Borderfield. Matt, before we get to the semis, what have you made of the WBBL season? It's the first time it's been a standalone competition. Yeah, look, mate, I think it's been an amazing season. Um, you know, it's come at a different time and obviously the standalone uh, was a gamble, but I think it's paid off uh, significantly. I, um, I've been able to watch a lot of great cricket across the board and, and, and our, my fellow selectors have been really impressed as well. So some different names have, have stood up and it's big to see um, some players that have moved done well and, and Belinda Vakawira comes to mind. Um, you know, probably lacked a few opportunities in Sydney and, and, and took the gamble and went down to, to Hobart and Whilst they didn't have the season they would like, I think her and Nick Carey has been some really good movements for them. And um, that's the sort of thing we want to see. We want to see the best players playing and getting opportunities. So from my point of view, it's been a great tournament. Belinda made the team of the tournament. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, But it's the first time that we haven't seen any Sydney teams in the semis. Um, I'm sure that the Thunder and Sixers would want to be there. But um, perhaps it's not a bad thing to see some fresh faces in the finals. Yeah, look, I think the Sixers were on track halfway through, but um, you know they had a few things not go their way, and that's how tight the competition is now. And um, everyone would have been aiming for that that fourth spot, and from there anything can happen. But uh, you'd have to say the Strikers uh, and the Heat have been the two standout teams so far. But they all start now on a, on a pretty level playing field, likely to be good conditions in Brisbane, uh, and it's going to be a fantastic final series. So. Uh, the other two teams probably feel like they've um, you know, got in there and, and now they're an even money chance. So I, I think all the teams played well at various stages, but uh, those two teams stood out that they got on that roll. But as we know, um, it's nice to be on a roll, but you want to be peaking around semis and finals time. So it's all there to play on the weekend. Yeah, the Sixers, uh, without Elise Perry, didn't have her for the last five games. Uh, Matt, can you give us a bit of an update about how Pez's shoulder is? Yeah, I think she's close. The, the medical staff, are, are, you know, I think she's reasonably close. She's just run out of time in the end. and um, Yeah, it's disappointing for her. But you know, in the whole scheme of things, it's a, it's a massive uh, two years of cricket. And uh, I think uh, it's a smart decision to be a little bit conservative. And, um, you know, Elise is an amazing professional. She would have done absolutely everything in her power to be right. Um, and she's also got a high pain threshold. So uh, clearly uh, the, the right decisions were made. Um, but, yeah, the Sixers, I guess, uh, yeah, throughout the season, they, they were feast or famine, weren't they? Big scores or, or low scores. And so I'm sure uh, ben, ben Sawyer will be working on the consistency uh, for next year in, in that middle order in particular and trying to build a sustainable group for the next couple of years. OK, on to the semis. First one, Strikers versus Scorchers. How do you see this one playing out? Oh, look, as I said, I think the Strikers have probably been, if not you know, up there with the Heat, they've been amazing. I've watched them in a few games. They're a well-oiled machine. I think the coach, Luke Williams, has done a great job this year of, of bringing them all together. They've strengthened their middle order, which has probably been their Achilles heel in the past. Uh, and someone like Bridget Patterson's had a big year as well. So I think they go in as favourites, but um, you'd never write off any team with, with Meg Lenning in it. And I'm sure, you know, she got 100 last week, and they seem to be habits for her. So uh, watch out for the strikers. It, it's amazing when she get in there. Megan Shute, another one in the WBBL um, team of the year. Um, she'll have a big part to play. She had the, probably had the, the wood over Meg in the, in the game I watched up at Brisbane last time. So, uh, look, I think it's going to be a, a brilliant final. Two good teams going head-to-head. But 
I'd have to say that the the, the strikers would be the favourites. And the Scorchers lose their English imports, but they've got Meg Lanning there, as you said. Uh, do you think the the monkey's off the back, so to speak, now that she's finally got that WBBL century? Yeah, no doubt. That would have been burning burning away at Meg. Um, she likes getting triple figures, and in fact, she's stranded there on, I think it was 97 or whatever, for, for a few games. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that is definitely like the monkey off the back. And as we've seen with Meg, once she gets on a roll, um, it, those runs become a habit, and she'll go into these semifinals feeling a lot of pressure off, I think, and knowing that the strikers are probably the favourites and go in there and bat with a free spirit, and um, it should be a really good game. You'd have to think for the Scorchers to win, they got to somehow curtail Sophie Devine. What an amazing season she's had. Yeah, she's an incredible player, Sophie Devine. I, I think she's um, one of the most devastating all-rounders the game's been, really. Um, she's bowled fast. Uh, she can bowl really good bounces, good change-up to the ball, and, and then, um, you know, just even her clutch plays in super overs and stuff like that with a bat. She just seems to have ice in her veins and goes out and just hits the ball. So um, she's a big player. She's been on a roll as well. She just needs to make sure she can keep it going for two more games. But um, from what we've seen so far, she's probably the, the most dangerous player in both sides going into the final. Now the Heat and the Strikers finished even on 10 wins each, but the Heat just got top spot with a superior net run rate. They're going to take on the uh, Melbourne Renegades, uh, Moddy. How do you see that? There's no English players for the Renegades again. They lose White, who made the team of the tournament. But can we see an upset here, potentially? Um, look, I definitely think the Heat are favourites at home. Um, they've done a lot of travelling. They've won well away from home. But I just think, uh, to me, they're one of the more resilient and adaptable teams. And I think in semi-finals, if they get off to a bad start with the bat, even if Mooney does miss out, they have got a number of players through the middle order. I mean, they haven't even really played the, the card of Kirby Short when they're in trouble really this year at all. So they're one team that they can go hard at that power play with the bat, knowing that they, they bat down, basically down to number 11. Uh, and not many teams can boast that. So that's where I think they, they set themselves apart a little bit. Um, and, and their bowling, they've got really good options there. You've got a couple of, you know, Jess Johnson's probably one of the best T20 bowlers in the world. Um, Sammy Joe Johnson's a good power play bowler and, and has done that all season. So they've got a variety of options. But the Renegades go in there, well coached by Tim Coyle. I think they're, they're a resilient bunch of players. They've, they've, they've sort of been on the cusp for the last couple of years and been unlucky. It might just be their year this year. And they'll go in, as you say, with nothing to lose um, and, and a really free spirit. I'm sure Tim Coyle will, will be making sure they go out and really take the game on against the Heat. How about the form of Jess Duffin? She took a little time away from cricket. She's come back and looks like she hasn't missed a beat. In fact, even got better. Yeah, I, I love watching her. She's a great player for Australia, Jess, and um, really good team player. I only had a, a little bit to do with her, unfortunately, before she, she took the break from cricket. And it's worth noting that she, she actually hasn't officially retired from international cricket. So uh, it certainly has been talked about a lot of selection. I know she's juggling uh, her footy career as well, but... Um, she has really taken the competition by storm and, and deserves that uh, opportunity to, to captain the, the team of the year. She's been um, nothing short of a revelation this year. Every time you think she can't get any better, she just delivers in, in pressure moments and uh, has got her basically um, pretty much got her team through to the semi-finals through her captaincy and her clutch plays in the middle order. And Beth Mooney, just unbelievably consistent at the top of the order. As the Australian team coach, Matt, you must be so impressed about how Beth just keeps churning out these runs of the heat year after year. Yeah, Beth has been a model of consistency. I think it's something like 24 50s in 66 games or 67 games. 
which is an amazing conversion rate in T20 when it's such a tough game at the top of the order. Sometimes you can, you can miss out uh, to be consistently... And the amount of match-winning not-outs that she's scored for her team and she's got them over the line. Um, she's a huge wicket in the WBBL um, and her consistency, but also her potency when the, when the game's needed to be taken on, she's taken that on and no more evident than that, that last game against the Stars down there at the Junction Oval when uh, you know it was a wet day and they needed they wanted to get those run quickly with the chance of rain. She just took the game on and took the game away from the Stars. So she's both uh, the spine of the innings but also the one that can um, hurt you with a you know, 130-plus strike rate as well. So are we uh, thinking a, uh, a Heat Strikers final on Sunday at Allen Borderfield? I think I think it would be hard to go past that, but we always know there's at least one upset in these finals. So not sure which one it's going to be, but uh, probably if I was to pick one, it might be the Scorchers uh, to, to upset and it's just come through with it, perhaps on the back of a Lanning's masterclass. All right. Now, Lanning, as we've talked about, did made the team of the tournament. Here it is. Soph Devine, Beth Mooney, Danny White, Meg Lanning, Elise Perry, Jess Duffin as captain, Jess Jonathan, Marazan Cap, Molly Strano, Megan Schutt, and Belinda Vakarua. Very strong team, uh, Matthew. How hard was it to get so many good players into 11, considering you had, to, you had to pick a team that was a mixture of batters and bowlers, could only have those three overseas players. What was it like at the selection table picking this 11? Mate, it was it was tough going the selection for that. Uh, we had a lot of different opinions and um, very good ones as well. It was a, it was an enjoyable process to be a part of, and um, it's just great to canvas different opinions. You know, we're used to dealing with selectors who are closely involved together, but to have um, such a wide ranging view and um, some stat based, some ex players. It was it was a really good mix, and um, yeah, to lead the some great players left out there. I did say at some stage I wouldn't mind coaching that team, but I'm not sure who we'd play against. But Ash Nocky's the lucky bloke who uh, gets the honour of coaching them, and that was nominated by his peers, which um, it's a great honour. I think it's um, hugely elevating for coaching to, to be able to award that as well. And um, yeah, he's, uh, to be nominated by your fellow peers is, is a great feather in the cap. But that team, um, yeah, look, I think it's a well balanced team. I think you've got a good mixture of spin and pace, you've got some power play overs. Some genuine noted death bowlers, um, batting all the way down. You know, it, it's a, it's a really good team, and uh, some good players missed out. You know, I think any side where you can leave Elisa Healy out, um, and she had a reasonable year. It's not like she didn't uh, didn't deliver at all. So uh, yeah, you can leave some some high caliber players out. Uh, Delissa Kimmins got close as well. So yeah, it was a, it was a really good team. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see where it goes in the next couple of years because. One thing to pick a team like that, but it'd be lovely to see them play. Yeah, how do we do that? How do we do? You have to pick a second eleven or something like that to see them play each other. Yeah, you probably could, couldn't you? And, and that team would go all right as well. I mean, as you said, it's been such a great competition this year, and a number of people have really put their hand up. Um, it was a, it was a very tough team to pick, and and that's what we want, I guess. It's, um, and you know, we we tried to stick to the only three overseas player rule as well, so. Um, yeah, the rest of the, the Australian players were vying for all those other spots, and I think uh, it's a good mix. Uh, and someone like Jess Duffin, you know, to, for her to be considered in that uh, team at the start of the tournament, you, you would have been at long odds. So I, I think uh, that just shows what this comp- competition can bring. And um, we said at the start of the tournament, from an Australian perspective, uh, just how good it would be to see different players stand up. So Belinda Vakuwira and, and Jess Duffin have definitely put their name up there um, from this tournament alone. And this season, we bid farewell to two legends of the game, Alex Blackwell and Renee Farrell. Uh, Matt, what kind of legacy do those two players leave? 
Oh, massive legacy, you know. Um, just take one at a time. But Renee Farrell was in the team when I was there, and just a genuinely nice character to have around the team. Uh, very experienced. She, you know, played a few different uh, states, but uh, was loved everywhere she went, and uh, brought plenty of energy in front of the team. And you know, from a cricket perspective, just always took the hard overs. She bowled at the front and the best. And uh, pretty underrated batter at different times, particularly in the WBBL with the unique style of sort of giving her stumps away and carving through point and then the odd just lap over the keeper's head. So she, she's a fantastic player and she'll be missed. I think she's the heart and soul of the, the Thunder from the last few years and uh, certainly brought a lot of fun to the, the game. And Alex Blackwell, what can you really say? Like the highest uh, amount of games for Australia, ultimate professional. Um, you know she's old and I can remember... Um, had been coached there and she was a young player coming through. So, uh, yeah, what, what a fantastic career. Alex was always a, a fighter. Um, yeah, she, she found different ways to hit the, the ball into different areas and uh, another great team player who, who looked to take the game on. And underrated fielder, Alex, was um, you know unbelievable at that short cover or short mid-wicket position, throwing her body around and you know, often you know, hurting herself but not even... Uh, acknowledging the physio, so uh, yeah, just a great servant of Australian cricket and particularly New South Wales cricket. Um, her, her her record there with the Breakers is um, is the envy of a lot of players, and um, yeah, I, I wish her well. Obviously, she's on the on the New South Wales board now and giving back to cricket. So um, yeah, great legacy that she's left. Yep, two outstanding careers. Finally, Manny, we'll let you go. Um, the T20 World Cup is only a few months away. Are you happy with how the squad is shaping up? And has this WBBL season thrown up a few surprise names potentially? Yeah, we, we've got a. We'll, all the selectors will meet up in Brisbane this week around the semis, and uh, we'll have some really good chats up there. Look, to be honest, we're pretty we're pretty close to, to nailing down our our 15 going forward. We we've got a, a good. Uh, understanding of what we want and what style of cricket we want to play, and I think we've made that pretty obvious over the last few months. And uh, yeah, we're looking for two and three-dimensional players who can and play a role in C20 cricket. Um, sometimes you know, that middle order might be around facing six or seven balls. So players that can make impact with the bat in that period are, are highly valuable, and that, that's why you look at someone like a, a Jess Duffin who's come in and, and done something like that. And, and for us, uh, that, that's the sort of style we, we want to play. And try and take the game away from other teams. But, uh, yeah, there's been a, a number of players put up their hand and for those last couple of spots, there'll be plenty of discussion. All right. Thank you very much. Enjoy the semi-finals, And uh, if we don't speak to you again, good luck in the T20 World Cup. Thanks, Sam. Enjoy, mate. Okay, Lewis, you have watched more Marsha Woodshill than maybe anyone this summer. Hopefully not the selectors, but certainly right up there. Uh, now, can you give us your thoughts on the season so far? We're halfway through. Halfway through the season, New South Wales are leading the comp on 32.69 points ahead of Queensland, 24.78, and then it goes the Western Australian Warriors. Well, they're not the Warriors anymore, are they? No. Western Australia, yeah. pardon. Tasmania, South Australia. Are they Redbacks? They are still the Redbacks. And yeah. Victoria. Not the Bush Rangers Formerly anymore. known as the Bush Rangers. RIP Bush Rangers. And they have not won a game, uh, nor have South Australia, in their, this season. So give us a little rundown of the uh, of the Shield season so far, and then I'll get you to give us your top three performers. Yep. I mean, it's been an interesting season in terms of New South Wales uh, doing very well, and it shouldn't be any surprise really considering they had a lot of their test stars available for the early part of the season. The interesting challenge now for them is to see whether they can replicate the same stuff with some of their lesser lights who are still 
um, as they showed against Victoria during the week. You know, still very, very hard to beat. And they might have been able to win that game if uh, if weather hadn't intervened. Um, Queensland, I think they're the team for me that I think could end up finishing top. I think even when they when they lose guys like Manus, um, Labuschagne, they're still a very, very strong side. And if Usman Khawaja is playing the rest of the season with them, uh, look out uh, because their bowling attack is very, very strong. Uh, WA, Tasmania, there and thereabouts, I think. Um, and South Australia still, I think there's a there's a Twitter account that we're all following mm. now that uh, is Chronicles. counting the days yeah. <laughs> since South Australia last won a Shield game. I've felt really sorry for them because they've gotten really close in two or three of their, two or three of their games and they've, they haven't been easy beats by any means. Um, and neither have Victoria. Who, I mean, you have to do a double take to see them yeah. at the bottom of the bottom of the Sheffield Shield table. They've won, I think, four of the last five Shields and... Through it, I mean, it's been an interesting season with a few of their, um, well, three of their batters having mental health issues and, um, you know, dropping out of the team at, and then coming back into the team at different points. Um, still, I think they still should have won a couple of games and they'd yep. be disappointed not to have not to have done so. Okay, top three performers. Some standout players halfway through the season. The Sean, can we rename it the Sean Marsh Sheffield Shield? I wonder if, if the, it keeps going like he's yeah. going, we might have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people probably thought that it was called the Sean Marsh Cup, or you know, after he uh, he did so well in the in the one day stuff. But you can't really talk about the competition without him at the moment. Five hundred eighty six runs at seventy three. top of the leading run scorers. I mean, he must that selectors must have talked about him. Like I know, I think even he's probably considered his time might be done, but. They couldn't have not had their meetings recently and not talked about yeah. the guy who's just dominating the competition. He's made two centuries. One of them was a was a double. Um, he's my first standout. The other one is um, Nick Maddinson, one of those guys who's been in and out of the Victorian side for mental health reasons. But his record since moving to Victoria, um, so he's batted 14 times for Victoria in nine games, nine Sheffield Shield games for Victoria. Since moving from New South Wales, he's made 162, 10 not out, 108, 29, 136, 61, 24, 33, 224, 37, 37, 69, 22, and then 59 uh, the other day against New South Wales. That's a remarkable. That's just a remarkable. It's run. incredible. Yeah. yeah. And considering what he's what he's got, he's gone through some you know some really tough times. And he broke his arm like this. He broke his arm. Not- he had another injury that ruled him out of the the Shield final. I can't remember. I think it was a might have been a broken thumb or a broken finger. Yep. Um, that's incredible numbers. And he's if if he can stay on the park for you know physical and you know whatever kind of reasons you know if he can just kind of get right, um, you know the the selectors will definitely be looking at him. Isn't it funny how? You, when you see players move states, it's like a, a a fresh start. They start over, but he had to work his way into that Victorian team. He yeah. wasn't going to you know strictly to Tasmania, going to Tassie and, and getting a game there. Like he had to go and get this packed top order with mm-hmm. Travis Dean, Harris, uh, Hanscom, Finch, like all these Maxwell, Pukowski. It's a star-studded batting lineup, and he has been. The brightest light of all. Yeah, and it might have helped him. And I think it took him, just looking back at those scores, he didn't play till December in 2018. So he, there were basically two months of the season where he, he wasn't in the, in the team. That's right. And then he gets 100, breaks his arm, he's out for the BBL. <laughs> so uh, incredible resilience from yeah. Mano. And great to watch when he's going. I mean, he's just, he can be, he's unpredictable at times in terms of 
um, and just kind of freed, I think, in, in yep. terms of how he bats. So. I know Steve Smith says that if he could watch someone score 100, it'd be Nick Madison because yeah. he could just take down attacks, just demoralise attacks. It's really, really fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and can bat middle order and open as well, yep. which is... Yeah. Ashes 2023? Yeah, potentially. Yep. Yeah, maybe he should have been around the mark there. Uh, the other one is slightly left field, but, I mean, it's not really when you look at the leading wicket takers. Cameron Gannon, uh, a guy who's been around domestic cricket for quite a long time, never really been close to playing for Australia, although he has played for the USA, Sam. Yes. Yeah, which is um, interesting. Uh, he has 23 wickets at 20.6, which is, I think three more than the than the most uh jackson bird on 20 so he's having a really good season he's had some issues with his action he's got called for for throwing a little while ago to me it looks he looks you know um he looks really good now you wouldn't um you wouldn't tell that he's kind of gone through that um i think he's a he's a really good bowler and he swings it he's tall he got steve smith out earlier in the season Um, feather in your cap just for doing that Yeah. yeah especially at that point just kind of coming off the ashes and it's a big reason why Queensland are second on the table. Yeah, 100%. I mean, having guys like him, Steckity's also up there in the leading wicket takers. Nice has been fantastic. So and Big Billy. And Big Billy. They've yeah. got a good base attack, don't they? Yeah. And Swepson's bowling well with his leg spin. A lot of bases covered. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, I think they're the team to beat this year. Really? Yeah. Well, I think with Even, New South... Unless yeah. they don't, New South Wales get their representative players back. How's that going to work? Like I know Smith is going to play some some BBL. I think Stark and Hazelwood, you know, potentially could play as well. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of white ball cricket after after Christmas. I think they'll they all won't be because there's what the South Africa tour, then there's the March March, then there's the March games against New Zealand at home and away, so that might be tough. The the March the games. March March yeah. games, yeah, 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 yeah. So they they'll probably be unavailable for the Shields. Second half of the season, yeah. I stand by it. The Bulls, the Bulls, team to beat. Bulls team to beat. All right, that's fantastic. That's a fairly comprehensive wrap. Thank you, Lewis. That's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by Mastercard. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, we're going to be back next week to wrap up the Rebel WBBL final and preview the first of main test from Perth Stadium. Nathan Lyon is set to join us again. Uh, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Unplayable Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and if you're after breaking news, live scores and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.